If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to the book of Ruth this morning. Um, well, it's so um, incredible to be here this morning with you all, church, family. Um, love you and so grateful for this opportunity to come before you this morning to open up God's Word, to study it, and to hear from the Lord this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan Gray. I'm one of the ministers here on staff, and it is a joy this morning just to, again, open up God's Word, to hear from, from the Lord together, and just to uh, apply it to our lives here this morning. Um, and so we are kicking at old school, and we're going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth this morning, uh, specifically looking at uh, Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Uh, and so I want to kind of address a topic here, uh, focusing in on the topic of tragedy. And so what I'm going to do is just kind of jump right in, but what I want to do this morning is uh, instead of reading all of uh, 22 verses here, I'm going to read the first five verses for us and then pray, and I'll kind of summarize part of the story. And we'll kind of jump in, and we'll get to your sermon points in just a few moments, Um, but this will kind of make sense as we move along. And so I'm going to read the first five verses right now, and then we'll pray together. The Word of God says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Aphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, just this opportunity. I thank you just for uh, the chance for the body of Christ to, to come together this morning. God, to worship you, to glorify you, and to praise your name. And Father, over these next few moments, I thank you that we have the gift of hearing from you through your word. God, I pray that you will speak clearly through me, and that God, that you will speak to our hearts here this morning, and that we walk away differently than when we walked in this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know about you all, but maybe you're like me. In in these last couple of weeks, these last uh, several months, maybe even this last year, for yourself, you've been like me, and your heart has been heavy. As we look upon the things that have gone on in our world, as we look upon the things that have gone on in our country, um, you look at things going on such as the things going on in Haiti and in Louisiana and Afghanistan. You think about the things that we've even experienced in our own church family, possibly, just the difficult circumstances that we all face in life. And some things have happened more recently within our church, within our nation, within our our world. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like me where you are just burdened for people. You have this heartbreak for what people are going through in, in life. And this morning I really felt the Lord calling me to open up the book of Ruth with you all this morning to talk about this topic of, of tragedy. And I know that's not a fun topic ever to talk about, but it's important to talk about because it's real. And we have to talk about, we have to be honest this morning because we got to be honest, right? We need to be honest that, that tragedy do, does come in this life. That maybe you're here this morning, you're walking in with different burdens and anxiety and different things you're dealing with. 
And I want us to talk about that this morning, that you can, you can walk away not just talking about it and knowing that it's present in your life, but I want to leave you this morning with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That ultimately hope in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of what can seem like hopelessness right now, possibly for you, that there is hope in the name of Jesus. And that is good news for us this morning. And so the book of Ruth is an incredible short story. It's four chapters. It's almost like reading a Shakespeare play, if you will. Um, and it's, it's a small story within a greater story. It's a small story talking about God's redemptive work within a greater story that you and I are in this morning of God's redemptive work. And so I love this story of how we, we learn so much about who God is in the book of Ruth, and we learn so much about how God is a God who works behind the scenes. And that's an incredible thing to see here this morning. And so Ruth chapter 1 is really where I want us to focus in on this morning as we talk about tragedy. But I'll kind of give an overarching uh, point as far as what the book is about as well. And so what I just read there, uh, just kind of set the tone for what's going on before we get to your points. Um, In the very first verse there, we learn that the story of Ruth takes time during the place of the judges. This is during the, the reign of the judges. And so if you are familiar with your Bibles and the book of Judges, the book of Judges is the book right before Ruth. And this was a very dark time during Israel's history. Uh, this was a very uh, dark time. Um, this was a time where people were disobedient. There was a lot of sin. People were doing whatever in the world they thought was best for their lives. Sounds nothing like our culture today, right? Um, people were doing whatever they thought fit best to do for their families. They believed in what they wanted to believe. They did what was best for them. And also, there was no king of Israel. And so during the time of the judges, this was a terrible time in Israel's history. And so right here off the bat, the author of Ruth gives us this painting, gives us this backdrop for what's taking place in this story of Ruth. And not only is this during the time of the judges, but we learn that there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. Now, famines occurred throughout Scripture, we know that, and, and one of the most common occurrences uh, for a famine was God's judgment upon his people. And so, we're not really sure because the author doesn't go into great detail as to this, but it's possible that there was a famine in Israel because God's people were disobedient. And so, that's just something for you to know and note, um, but nonetheless, this was a very difficult and hopeless time for the people of Israel. And then we learn in the, in the first five verses as well, we learn, we, we're introduced to this family unit of four people, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I think this is important to note that the name Elimelech literally means my God is king. And the name Naomi, her name means pleasant or lovely or sweet. And that's important as you read through the book of Ruth, and I hope that you will uh, encourage you to read through the rest of the story even after this morning. Um, But we're introduced to this this family, and they do probably what you and I would do if we were in the midst of a famine. They go look for food. And so they leave Bethlehem, and they head to this place called Moab. And they were planning to stay there temporarily, but what we see here in God's Word is that they ended up staying there. They ended up settling down with their family. But then all of a sudden, things kind of change. What I want you to see in Ruth chapter 1 here as we're getting into this story is that things kind of go from bad to worse to desperate. I want you to see this place, this utter place of hopelessness that this family is in because what we learn in, chapter, in verse 3 is that all of a sudden Elimelech 
dies. Tragedy hits this family and hits this family hard. That we're not told why he dies. It may have been due to natural causes. It may have been a result of them leaving the promised land. We're not really told why he died, but nonetheless, Elimelech dies. And Naomi is left with her two sons. And just when you think things couldn't get worse, what do we learn in verses 4 and 5? We learn that her two sons, after several years, they get married to Ruth and to Orpah, two Moabite women. And then we learn that all of a sudden that these two sons now are dead. And we're left here at the end of verse 5 with Naomi left without a husband and without two sons. We are given this place of hopelessness. And if you're familiar with this culture and this time period, there is no greater tragedy for, for, than for a woman to be a widow and to be without her two sons, because this would mean that her family would cease to exist. And so Naomi here, she knew what her future looked like, and it didn't look good. <laughs> she knew her future looked gray. She knew her future looked bleak. She knew it did, didn't look, um, she knew it looked hopeless. And so I want you to see that. I want you to wrestle with that this morning, to see this place that Naomi is in. She knew what her future looked like, and it did not look good. But then we see in verses 6 through, uh, six through 14, kind of summarizing what's going on, we're, we're introduced to this place of hopelessness, and then verses 6 through 14, maybe you all are familiar with the story, what we see happen over a course of time, we see uh, that Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, they learn that God now has provided food back in Bethlehem. And so what do they do? They make the journey back to Bethlehem to go find or go back home to Naomi's homeland. And so Naomi comes to the realization, there's nothing more for, he and Mo- more for me in here in Moab, and so I might as well go back home to Bethlehem. And so they, they make the journey back, right? And as they're on their way back to Bethlehem, Naomi also comes to the realization that, wait a second, my daughter-in-laws, who are Moabite women, probably shouldn't go back with me because they're not going to be welcome in Bethlehem because they worship other gods, And they probably shouldn't come back with me because, quite honestly, there's nothing for them there. Because I'm a widow, I'm without sons, I have no hope for myself, I have no hope for my daughter-in-laws. And so we see in in that course of the second section of Ruth chapter 1, we see Ruth and Orpah and Naomi had this dialogue back and forth. And Naomi is insisting and encouraging her daughter-in-laws to go back to Moab. And what we learn is that eventually... Orpah listens to Naomi, and Orpah says farewell, and Orpah goes back to Moab, to her own parents' house. But we see this beautiful picture of the gospel on display through the character of Ruth. You see, in verse 14, we learn that uh, Orpah leaves, but what does Ruth do? Ruth clings to Naomi. (laughs) You see, we've we've probably heard a lot of sermons and different lessons upon the, the character of Ruth, and rightly so, because you see Ruth's loyalty and her commitment and her love for her mother-in-law, Naomi, in her tragic state. And I think we had to remember this morning, too, that not only was Naomi going through tragedy, but Ruth lost a husband, too. <laughs> Ruth lost a husband as well, and so she is experiencing tragedy in this moment as well. But you see this incredible uh, gospel-centered love that Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. And in verses 15 uh, through 17, some of y'all are familiar with this, we get this incredible, famous uh, speech from Ruth to Naomi. And what does she say? She says, Naomi, stop asking me to leave you and to depart from you because where you go, I'm going. 
Where you live, I live. If you die, I die. And now your God is now my God. And so you see Ruth make this profession of faith. And so uh, Ruth clings to Naomi in her hopelessness. And then verse 18, I love this, what, the, what the author says here, that Naomi, what is her response to Ruth? She simply closes her mouth. She simply just accepts the fact that Ruth is so determined to go with her back to Bethlehem. And that's kind of what's taking place here. And I want to read just the last few verses here, 19 through 22 with you. It says this. This is when they returned back into Bethlehem. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So what we see here in these last three verses is that Naomi and Ruth, they come back into Bethlehem. And what happens? The entire town of Bethlehem is stirring with excitement. It's buzzing with joy for Naomi, this woman who had left many years ago, has now returned. And I can probably imagine what this would have been like in this moment because as Naomi is returning, she's returning with Ruth, a woman that these people didn't know. She's returning without Elimelech. She's returning without her children. And so life has taken its toll upon Naomi. And what does this crowd do, specifically this crowd of women? They say, could this be Naomi? (laughs) Could this actually be Naomi? And what does Naomi say? She says, I can imagine she has tears in her eyes and she says, don't call me Naomi. Remember the name Naomi means what? It means pleasant. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord has done this to me. She's blaming God for all these things going on. She says, don't call me Naomi because that that hasn't been the story of my life the last several years. My life has been everything but pleasant. I lost a husband. I lost two sons. I've lost prosperity. I've lost protection. I've lost everything. And so church, I want you to see where they are in this moment, because I wonder here this morning, how many of us maybe walked into this room this morning, and you can identify with how Naomi's feeling? Or maybe there's been a point in your life where you can say, I can identify with all of her emotions, all of her feelings here in this text to say, I once was full, but I've come here this morning and I'm bitter. If we're just being honest this morning, you see, Ruth is commended for her loyalty. I think Naomi, in a lot of ways, should be commended for her honesty. And she had, a lot, she had some things to get right with the Lord, yes, of course. But she was brutally honest in this text. And I wonder this morning, if maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, I'm not going to go to the Social Security office tomorrow to change my name, but you could understand why she would. Because life has taken its toll upon Naomi. And so church, we've got to get a couple of things straight here this morning. Number one on your outlines here. In life, tragedy will strike you. And I know that's like the most discouraging thing to say this morning, (laughs) that in life, tragedy will strike you. We're going to get some good news in a second, but we got to be real and honest and raw here this morning to say that in life, tragedy will come our way. I wish I could sugarcoat it for you, but I can't. That would be lying to you. That would not be truthful. But tragedy and difficult circumstances will come in this life. So many people, some people in this room have experienced it. Some people haven't. You will. (laughs) I have my own life. I've experienced it. 
I came from a broken family. God redeemed me from that at an early age. Praise God. I've experienced tragedy in my own life. And so maybe you're here this morning, you can recognize this, but if you haven't, I want you to know this morning that tragedy will come. Why does it come? Simply because, friends, we live in a fallen, twisted, sinful world. It doesn't take a a genius to realize this. You turn on the news, you turn on the TV, you can see it, you can feel it. I know you do. I felt it this past week. I felt it this past few months. We live in a fallen, twisted world. And because of that, there's death, there's disease, there's brokenness in this world. But here's the second part of this. Here's some good news for you. That in tragedy, number two, God is working. In life, tragedy will strike you, but in Tragedy, God is working, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see it. That God is working behind the scenes. If you have read the story of Ruth, you see that in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth, they couldn't see God working in this moment. But you and I, we've probably read the rest of the story. We see how God works behind the scenes. We know how God brings redemptive work to this family We've seen him work in this, and he does the same thing in our own lives. He's done it through the, the life of Jesus. When there's great tragedy, God brings out his redemptive, saving work. God is a God who is sovereign. God is the one who provides provision in our lives. What I love about the story is you see God's sovereignty and his provision and his providence in orchestrating these things and these events out for this family to bring about his salvation to this family. God is working even when we can't see it. If you've read through the story of Ruth, you know that in chapter 2, what was going to happen? Ruth was going to meet a man named Boaz. Boaz, I said this is like a Shakespeare play. You get some tragedy, you get some romance, you may get some little comedy here and there in the book. But Ruth would go out into these fields. Also, I think it's important to note too that in verse 22, we learn that they come to the the beginning of barley harvest. Verse 22 gives us that glimpse of hope because that in chapter 2, Ruth would go out into these fields where this farmer named Boaz would be and she would meet Boaz, fall in love with him, and we would learn that Boaz would be this kinsman redeemer, meaning that he was the only one that who was able to uh, redeem this family. A redeemer is somebody who can purchase and redeem and restore this family out of their broken and hopeless state. He was a close relative and under the Mosaic law, he was willing and he was able to restore and redeem and purchase this family to make all things new. And Boaz and Ruth would fall in love and Boaz would would purchase Naomi's uh, property that she had lost and that would seal the deal. And what we learn in Ruth chapter 4, that Boaz would marry Ruth and Boaz and Ruth would have a son who would be the grandfather of King David. And if you know, King David ultimately leads to who? Jesus. God's working even when we can't see it. Friends, God is working behind the scenes even when we can't see it. <laughs> this is amazing that Boaz was willing to purchase their property, Mary Ruth, and provide for these two women. But thirdly here, what we see ultimately through this text, we see the gospel. Not only is Boaz the kinsman redeemer in this story, we see that in Christ we have our kinsman redeemer. 
It's their third point here. In Christ, we have our kinsman redeemer. That like Boaz, that Jesus stepped into your life. Jesus stepped into your brokenness. Jesus stepped into your sinfulness. And he said, I will redeem you. I will purchase you and your hopelessness. And I will provide you hope. I will provide you victory. I will save your life. And how did Jesus do it? How did he become our kinsman redeemer? Because God sent his son Jesus to become like us, making him kin to us. And he came willingly and he became in obedience and he suffered on the cross and paid for you through the shedding of his blood. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Do you see the gospel here in this story? It's so clear. You see God's redemptive work. You see the small story within this greater story of what Christ has done for you and for me. That Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. That you and I were desperate, that you and I were hopeless, that you and I were in shackles and in chains to sin and to death. But Jesus Christ has set us free. That Jesus Christ gave us the victory. This is what I want you to see here, number four, is that we see in this text, we see throughout the gospel and throughout scripture and in your life, I want you to believe this today and trust in this promise, that God is in the work of turning tragedy into triumph. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. (laughs) That God is in the work of turning tragedy into triumph. He is. He is. And that doesn't mean that our our difficulties aren't difficult. We understand that. We We know that. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but I want you to trust in the promise that this truth throughout scripture, that God was faithful in the past. He's faithful today, and he will continue to be faithful into the future. That we serve a God who who brings tragedy into triumph. Aren't aren't you grateful? (laughs) That we as believers, as the children of God, we have hope and victory in Jesus Christ. That God could take something as tragic as sending his son to the cross to purchase and to buy you through the shedding of his blood. But we know that death wasn't the end of his story, that we know on that third day that Christ rose victoriously on that third day. And because Christ rose, we too can cross from death to life. We were once dead in sin, but we've been made alive together in Christ Jesus. That's good news, church. And because of what Christ has done, we have this living hope. We have this victory that in the face of dark days, in the face of what can seem like hopeless days, that we can push forward. We can surround ourselves with people who will pick us up and carry us through life's days. That we can live with the assurance of knowing that we have the hope of Jesus Christ. That he has redeemed us. He has bought us. He has saved us through the shedding of his blood. And that God is for you. God is with you. God goes before us. And if we're here this morning, we have to cling to the truth found in Romans 8, 28. What does it say? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It says all things. That means the person you lost. That means the broken relationships. That means the the people you've lost since life. That means the the disease you've been diagnosed with. That God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this truth, but we have to trust the promise that God is faithful. That there is good news for the believer here. That God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And the things that we go through in life, 
are not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. That's good news. That's good news. That these things are temporary, the things we go through, but knowing that for the child of God, your tragedy ultimately leads to triumph. It may not happen today, it may not happen this week, but I promise you it will happen in eternity. For the child of God, tragedy leads to triumph. And so what's the response here this morning? Got a couple things here. I understand this morning that there could be people in two different categories. There, you may have walked in here this morning where you've just been dealt a handful of difficult cards. Where life has just really taken its toll on you. And you would say, and you could be honest this morning, you would say, Ryan, I'm facing some very tragic times right now. I want to give you some advice that's as simple as I know how and what I can counsel you to do this morning. That's simply to this. For those currently facing tragedy, this is so simple. But rest in the Lord. To rest and to wait upon the Lord. Knowing that God is for you. Know that God has not abandoned you. <laughs> know that God is present. And know that God is working. Even when you don't feel it. Even when you don't see it. We serve a God who is faithful. Rest in the Lord. Remain in his word. Remain steadfast in prayer. Remain in the body of Christ who will equip you and build you up and strengthen you by Holy Spirit power that lives inside of us. Rest in the Lord. And for those who are currently not facing tragedy, there may be several people in this room where you'd say, I'm not currently facing something, but I have my life. I realize that I might one day in this life. But for those in this room this morning who are currently not facing tragedy, here's what I want you to do. Cling to somebody who is. Cling to someone who is. You see that through the story. What does Ruth do? She clings to her mother-in-law. Again, Ruth was facing tragedy herself, but instead of departing from Naomi, she clings. You see this loyalty. You see this commitment. You see this true faithfulness displayed through the character of Ruth. If you're here this morning and you're not currently facing tragedy, cling to someone who is. Let's be a people, let's be a body of Christ where we see somebody hurting, we see someone suffering, that we respond the same way Jesus does to us and we run to these people, we cling to them in their time of hopelessness and these dark days, that we love on them and share the hope and the victory that we have in Christ. Friends, trust the promise that God is working even when we don't see it. And trust in the fact that God turns tragedy into triumph. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that you are a God who works behind the stage. <laughs> Oftentimes, God, we, we, a lot of times we do see you working. But God, it's in the difficult days where we can feel like we don't see it, or we may not feel it. But God, just throughout this, this story of Ruth and throughout the entire scripture, we see story after story after story where you are working behind the scenes. And God, we praise you for that. We thank you and we, we pray. I pray for these people in front of me, Father, and that those that are watching online, you will strengthen us in days where we can feel hopeless, in days where we can feel dark and gray. God, I just pray that you will strengthen us. God, that you will keep our eyes upon you. God, that we will rest in your word when there's days where we wander and it can feel like we're wandering in the desert. God, may we focus our eyes upon you and know and rest in the fact that you are our hope in dark days. 
that you are the victory, and because you are the victory, we have victory through you. So God, I thank you that you turn tragedy into triumph. We love you, Lord, and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.